Hi friends, this is Connie Alpers and I want to welcome you back to Equip to Be, where I get to help you embrace and navigate the seasons of life so you can reach your personal family and parenting goals. We at Equip to Be want you to understand how God has given you unique gifts, strengths, and talents so that you can live in all seasons with confidence and joy. Whether you're cooking dinner, holding laundry, or maybe just enjoying some time alone. I hope you enjoy this episode of Equipped to Be. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equipped to Be show. I am your host, Connie Albers, and I have a great guest in the studio today, David Clausen. What's amazing about David is I've known him for a long time. I knew him back when he was in high school. I'll let him tell a little bit about that story, but I've watched his faithfulness to follow the Lord in his career, and he is the director for the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. That is quite an accomplishment. He researches and writes on life, human sexuality, religious liberty, and related issues from a biblical worldview. Now, I know, listeners, you're already wondering, where is she going with this? Are we going to talk about what's going on in the school system? Are we going to talk about what's happening with this gender mutilation? We're going to talk about a lot of things, but David is well-versed, well-researched. His work and his writing has appeared in Fox News, Real Clear Politics, The National Review, The Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which, by the way, he's a contributing author, and I'm going to let him tell you about his book, Men and Women. And you know what's amazing is he does live in D.C. I'm sorry you live in D.C. I can't help (laughs) you there. But the way God has opened the doors and blessed you and put you where he has for such a time as this. So, David, thank you for joining me on the Equipped to Be podcast. Well, it's a joy to be with you, Connie, Uh, and greetings from the swamp of Washington, (laughs) D.C. And you're right, we've actually known each other uh, since 2005. It's when your son Tyler and I uh, played junior varsity basketball for a season many years ago. But yeah, again, just a joy to be on the program with you and excited to talk about these things. These are all really important issues that people in the culture, but specifically even people in our churches are dealing with on a daily basis. Yes. You know, it's funny, going back to you playing basketball with my son, I have to share that story because everybody, when I wrote Parenting Beyond the Rules, you know I have a passion for families, equipping families, parents, strengthening families, and especially what's happening to our kids in the middle and high school years. Um, That has been a passion of mine, mostly because it was birthed pretty much out of hearing all the struggles parents were having with their kids, and myself included. I mean, you don't escape challenges when you're raising children. But my kids would always used to say, you know, Tyler was the favorite. And when people would read the book, they'd say, oh, you really don't have much to say about him. And it was really because he learned how to stay under the radar. I mean, he was the middle child. And when you're the middle child of five, you kind of figure out how to navigate so you never get in trouble. And so it wasn't that he was the favorite, but he made me think that I was a good parent. I don't know what he would say about it now, but he's a good guy. But you are coming up on a wedding here in just a short time, depending on when you've listened to this podcast. You are enjoying married life or you're gearing up for it, but congratulations on that. But David, I often hear families struggle with how to help their kids get to where they are. And here you were, you were in Central Florida playing basketball, like all teenagers, and God had his hand on you, like he does every child. How did you get from playing basketball for a Christian school to now you live up in Washington, D.C., the most powerful place, I think we would both agree, 
There's a lot of power up there. How did you get from where you were through all the transitions of schooling to where you are now? And, and I know it's a long story, and I, I'm sure you can give me like the cliff notes. Yeah, definitely can give the succinct version of that. So, yeah, you know, graduated a couple years at a private uh, homeschool co-op kind of organization and then private school. Uh, elected to stay in Orlando for college. So I went to the University of Central Florida, so go Knights. Did a political science degree, um, and I was in college from 2010 to 2014. And during that time, had different opportunities. I worked on the Romney campaign in 2012, and, and that was a lot of fun. That exposed me to politics and campaigns and elections. But I really got really involved in ministry. I was involved in the Baptist Collegiate Ministries on campus, and that gave me opportunities to teach and to lead Bible studies and to preach. I also worked for two years during college at a local Southern Baptist church, and that got me uh, more opportunities to do ministry. And so when I finished college, you know, just really asking the Lord, what's next? What's the next step? And I sensed from the Lord and from others who were speaking into my life that I needed to go get a theological education. Mm -hmm. Didn't necessarily feel called to be a senior pastor that the, was leading a specific church that was the guy preaching every week, but I wanted to know the Lord more and I wanted to know the scripture. And so I decided to go to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I went off to Southern. And, you know, I, I had people speak into my life, you know, people uh, say, well, we see that you have some like raw abilities, some raw talents and, um, you know, people that were, that I saw as authority figures and people I looked up to kind of affirming that. So that was really important as, as far as that decision went. So I went to Southern and I did the master divinity degree. So that's, you know, Greek, Hebrew, New Testament, Old Testament, church history. Um, still really loved politics, though, and so I did an internship with the Southern Baptist Convention's policy arm over a summer, and through that, I saw, wow, you can do ministry and the public policy kind of at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive, and so when I finished the MDiv, I decided, prayed a lot about it, to go into the PhD program at Southern Ethics with a focus on public policy, and it was while I was doing the coursework, Connie, that the group here in D.C. known as the Family Research Council uh, found out about kind of what I was doing, and they invited me to come on staff in August of 2018 as I was finishing up the coursework. They just wanted someone to talk about the issues, whether it's the life issue, religious liberty, issues related to sexuality, uh, but from a theological perspective. So I'll, I'll make policy arguments, but my main job here is to help Christians, to help congregations, and to help Christian parents think biblically about whatever the issue of the day is um, in the news. I feel like you're just a treasure trove of of information. One, what's happening currently, but what you see happening in the future. And one thing I love about what you said is the importance of mentors. Uh, I, you didn't actually call them mentors, but you said people that you respected and trusted and that they spoke into you. So I, I kind of call that a mentor. And your parents were very integral into that as well. But there was something you said that they saw, it's kind of like they saw something in there, in you. And you had that that ability, but it needed to be developed. And so it has, because of all of that, people investing in you, people speaking words of truth and wisdom and discernment and counsel, it's kind of put you in this position. All these years I've known you and, and watched you on social media, you are filled with grace and kindness and truth. And you don't back away from the truth, but you explain it. So that's probably why the Family Research Council has you heading up and authoring the Biblical Worldview series. 
tell me a little bit about your work with that. Yeah, so Family Research Council, this is the year 2023. This is actually our 40th anniversary. So we were founded in 1983 by James Dobson and focused on the family. We kind of split off in the 90s. And so we've always tried to approach these issues as Christians, whether we're lobbying on the Hill for a piece of legislation or we're weighing in on an election, and we want to be Christians first. But our president, Tony Perkins, it was really kind of put on his heart a couple of years ago that we need to kind of do even more and be Mm -hmm. even more distinctively Christian in the way we're doing things. And so that's why he asked me in May of 2021 to kind of launch our Center for Biblical Worldview. And so we brought some guys on the team to do that, including um, George Barna, the well-known pollster. Mm -hmm. And and so when we launched just under two years ago, Connie, you know, George did a, a major poll, actually. He has 54 questions based on beliefs and practices, and we commissioned that poll just to find out what is the worldview of our fellow Americans. And it was fascinating. That poll came back, and although 51% of Americans think they have a biblical worldview, when you actually measure their beliefs, and then and these are beliefs on, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that mm-hmm. the Bible is God's Word? Um, so beliefs and then practices. Do you believe it's moral to cheat on your taxes? Do you believe it's moral to sleep with someone you're not married to? So beliefs and practices, you've got to score 80% or higher to be considered someone with a biblical worldview. So although 51% think they have a biblical worldview, when you measure it, it's actually only 6%. And then we took that same poll into evangelical churches because we wanted to know what our fellow believers, uh, what their worldview is. And although 81 percent, 81, told us they thought they had a biblical worldview when we measured beliefs and practices using George's metrics, it was 21 percent. So better than 6 percent, but uh, you know, I don't know any pastor that's going to be excited that only one out of five people in his congregation are thinking biblically about all of life. And so that really, Connie, that whole was the foundation of our Center for Biblical Worldview and realizing that we need to speak to Christians from Scripture on what the Bible says about basic issues of theology, obviously, uh, what, what is the gospel, what is the good news of Christianity, who is Jesus, uh, so theological questions, but what about those issues that our culture wrestles with, such as the nature of marriage, things related to the formation and discipleship of the family? What about all the things that are in the news related to LGBTQ+. How as Christians do we approach those from an Ephesians 4.15, truth and love perspective? And so that's kind of paying broadly the way the Center for Biblical Worldview tries to weigh in and help people be faithful as we think about these topics. What do you think has caused the decline? When you say 6% actually believe and they practice— and then you said 21%. Why the decline? What What's happened? I think there's a confluence of issues. And I think there's a couple things we could say. Carl Truman has a really helpful book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. This rise of radical autonomy, radical individualism, uh, the rise of moral relativism. You know, the idea of my truth is my truth. And I guess you could have your truth. Those things really injected into kind of the, the bloodstream of culture starting the 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, things like the sexual revolution, 60s into the 70s, laws changing, moral norms changing. Uh, Those are all part of it. I would also say uh, Christianity's loss of influence uh, is another one of those things. Just in the last decade, I think the number of Americans who identified as Christian went from somewhere in the mid-70s down to in the lower 60s. And so whether it's the, you know, loss of Christianity's influence, the rise of kind of deviant sexual behaviors, moral relativism. 
you know, you could pick and choose, but I think all of these kind of are in the same stream that has brought us to a place today where, again, basic Christian convictions are no longer seen just as outdated. Uh, many of them are now seen as subversive and dangerous oh, by yeah. a lot of people in culture. And I think all those things go together, really. I heard you say, basically, it's a chipping away. The opposing side or those that do not believe, it's not like they took a sledgehammer. That would be too obvious. It was just a slow, systematic chipping away. And I can actually remember saying, you know, you do you. The mindset behind that is, you know, I, I may not be able to change it. Fine, do what you're going to do. But that's not how it has transpired into our world. Why do you think the church has lost its significance and influence? You know, is there a host of things? Where do we lose our footing? Yeah, I think it is a host of things. So I think, you know, first, and this, this is a longer discussion, but I do think in the beginning of the 20th century, what was happening uh, among a lot of churches kind of around the World War One, World War Two eras, well, it was the rise of theological liberalism. So I'm thinking of denominations like the Episcopal Church or certain Lutheran denominations or Presbyterian USA denominations, kind of those mainline denominations. What did theological liberalism do? Well, theological liberalism introduced all these categories such as kind of being embarrassed about the supernatural. So, okay, well, you know, we know how babies are born. So the idea of the virgin birth, that's obviously, you know, pre-modern superstition. So you started having denominations get rid of things like the miracles of Jesus or a literal resurrection or miracles or things like that. And so then when those churches started pitching overboard basic Christian doctrines, well, nothing happened initially because, you know, culture was still pretty much uniform. But then in the 60s and 70s, when you have moral norms begin changing, well, all of a sudden those churches, if they're not tethered to scripture anymore, they're going to go along with the culture and they're going to go along rather quickly. And so I think, you know, the first gay bishop was the way that the terminology in the Episcopal Church, he was appointed, I think, in 2003. And so, again, that didn't happen in a vacuum. That was after decades of the Episcopal Church chucking overboard basic Christian doctrines. And so when you have all the mainline churches start going in that direction and affirming things that the scripture clearly doesn't teach, well, then the more conservative churches, they start feeling pressure. So how much do you think money plays a part of this? I mean, obviously, if you lose funding or if your parishioners or if your flock doesn't come, you know, then you start running into money or you start having the government want to take away or legislate what you can and can't do, what you can't. How much has that played a part of it? Because you said you kind of like go along to get along. Is that a little bit of what you've seen from research? I mean, I know from where I sit, what I see, what I think, but what does research bear? No, no, you're right, Connie. It does show that. And I think whether it's money, whether it's uh, wanting to be perceived as powerful, whether it's wanting to have cultural influence. Again, I, I mentioned the Episcopal Church, not to pick on the Episcopals, but the, the Episcopal Church has had an outsized influence in the 20th century America because they were kind of seen as the elite mainline institutional church. Again, way overrepresented in Congress and even U.S. presidents. And I think part of the pressure is to be perceived as kind of on top of the culture. And so when the culture begins to shift, absolutely, there becomes social pressure, which then leads to even financial considerations to kind of get along with the times. In England right now, Connie, uh, this is just a couple of weeks ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's kind of the, the head of the Anglican Communion worldwide, he officially came out in favor of Anglican churches, although they didn't change the definition of marriage, 
they said that same-sex couples can now get a blessing by a priest in the Church of England. And what was interesting, a couple weeks before that decision, you had lawmakers in the British Parliament saying that if the church doesn't get in line, they're going to maybe legislate them into line by pulling away some of their benefits, some of their protections, some of their liberties. And so absolutely, you know the archbishop is feeling lots of pressure there when he hears politicians saying that if you don't fall in line, you know, there's going to be consequences. Obviously, that's very political. That's not the way you do theology, but I can see the pressure on why someone would be led and moved in that direction. Well, I mean, look what happened with uh, 2020. I mean, who would have ever thought that in America, and I know we have listeners from around the world, and similar things happened across the globe. Who would have ever thought businesses would have been told to shut down and they would do it? They would just they would do it. Very few stood up and said, eh, no, I happen to live in not the swamp. I happen to live in a great state in America, uh, Florida, and we have a, a phenomenal governor who is wanting to protect family, wanting to stand up for the American Constitution. And, and he's doing a phenomenal job. You know, and you're battling everything up in D.C. We're to the point, David, this blows my mind, that, you know, we have a Supreme Court nominee that can't even define, which we're going to transition to your book, but you can't even define what a woman is. I would have never in my life thought this would be a topic of conversation, but hence, this is where we are, which led you to working on this book, Male and Female. He created them. Why this book? Tell us about it. Yeah, so one of the things that I've been able to do at FRC is travel a fair amount. Um, I think last year I got to go to California, uh, Texas a couple of times, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, doing stuff with pastors and churches. And I increasingly, the, the number one question that I was, and I was hearing from youth pastors, Christian counselors, issues related to gender and sexuality is the number one thing. You know, maybe it was 10 or 15 years ago, well, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Or, you know, is premarital sex between a man and a woman, is that really morally wrong? Those questions aren't being asked anymore. What's being asked is basic questions related to identity. And so because I was at Southern Seminary for a couple of degrees, I got to know Denny Burke, who's a professor there, and then Colin Smothers, who works at the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And Denny does as well. He's the president of CBMW. Uh, both, of, And that's an organization that John Piper and Wayne Grudem founded a couple decades ago. But they, in their ministries, was hearing the same thing. And so that's why all three of us, as we kind of talked about what we were seeing, uh, I was seeing at FRC, they were seeing at CBMW, realized there needs to be a resource for Christians to kind of grapple with these issues. Now, there's a lot of good books out there, and praise God for that. But as far as a resource that could be used like in small groups, in Sunday school classrooms, or even family worship, that would have questions and then give you places to write your answers and then even have videos that you could listen and then uh, respond to those videos. So kind of like a, a an actual, I don't know if curriculum is the right word, but some sort of resource that you would kind of engage with others. We just didn't see that existing. So that's kind of why we decided to put this together with the hope uh, the Christian educators, Christian parents, and churches would find this just as a tool to have these conversations and to point people back to what God's Word says on them. I like that you do it. I can't believe we're having this very strange conversation. Same with female sports. That's a whole other conversation. We had talked prior to going live. You were talking about some of the bills that were coming up. Mm -hmm. You know, my listeners are very astute. They're very engaged. They want to, even though, you know, I have folks in Sweden and UK and Africa and all around the globe, 
but they're watching and, and they're concerned. You know, it doesn't take more than two seconds of turning on the news or listening to a talk show radio or your favorite podcast for parents to realize that we're in a heap of trouble. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. We have inflation and recession, maybe, kind of, yes. I, you know, depends on who you ask at that particular minute. We see, I went to the grocery store the other day and, you know, eggs were $11.53. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is like, you got to find the goose that lays a golden egg. I mean, it's just crazy uh, what we see happening and parents are concerned. I get concerned for them. I'm thinking, oh, how are they going to battle this? And I keep being reminded, you're born for such a time as this. God has placed you in this position. He has connected you with folks that are bringing you along, but others as well. David, I need you to kind of like tell us what's going on, like really what's going on, but then the hope that you see for our country and for our families. That's a big, tall task (laughs) for me to ask you because here you could probably go on for days, but I know you can condense some things and, and give us the truth and what we can do. I think a call to action is very important. Absolutely. So just on these issues, Connie, there's a lot going on and whether it's gender, sexuality, marriage, obviously the uh, the president just in this past December signed a bill, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, that actually codified gay marriage into law in the United States. So, you know, things like that, that was negative. We, we FRC opposed a bill like that. But what we're seeing around uh, the country is uh, states stepping in to try to protect minor children. Uh, I mentioned uh, right before we came on here on the podcast is that Missouri, well, uh, one of their chambers, the Senate just passed a bill that would protect minor children from puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and actual physical surgeries. Uh, The Florida legislature is also considering that and has the full support of Governor DeSantis. So we've lost some legislative battles, but it really is encouraging to see it's mainly conservative lawmakers kind of taking up the mantle to protect children. Um, A huge movement that no one really talks about is really the detransitioner movement. Those who at one point had identified as transgender who kind of got into that lifestyle, realized what it was about, and then have so-called detransitioned out of it. They're getting a lot of attention. Chloe Cole uh, is an example. She got a double mastectomy at age 15 because she thought that would make her happy. And now she's actually suing the hospital that allowed that to happen to her now that she's come out of that way of thinking and lifestyle. All sorts of optimistic things on that front. And then obviously, you know, the the life issue, there's been many people who've been involved in the pro-life movement for decades in this country. And then, you know, June 24th, 2022, a day that I think many of us will remember the rest of our lives when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and allowed that decision to protect human life go back to the people in the individual states. And so, you know, I think as Christians, Connie, uh, where I find hope, and this is why a biblical worldview is, is so important, you know, elections are important uh, every two years, every four years. The elections are very significant and they have consequences. But as Christians, you know, our hope ultimately is not in who's president or who's in Congress or who's in the Senate. It's that Jesus is Lord and that he's told us he's coming back. And so I think that's why I think as Christians, we should be the most joyful warriors. We fight really hard, but we're going to hold our wins and we're going to hold our losses loosely because we know times will change. Circumstances uh, will look a little bit different given years, but at the end of the day, we're still serving our Lord. And I think that's why Christians at the end of the day have the most hope. And it's interesting because working in D.C., Connie, I have a lot of friends who work on the Hill and, you know, they look burned out. 
and you know they say they're just working 80 hours a week and it just seems like nothing really matters and and i think that's where as christians we realize we we do the work we do because god's called us to the work and god doesn't call any individual person to change the world what he does is he calls us to be faithful and whether you're a homemaking mom or a congressional staffer be faithful in the the sphere of influence god has given you and that's all he calls us to do and we can rest in that Yes, you just summarized that absolutely perfect. You stepped into the place God's called you, and you've done it without. I'm sure there's probably been a little bit of fear um, on some of the things because there just there is that the enemy loves to to make us doubt and wonder. But you know, families, I totally understand. I hear from you all the time. I mean, you're you're torn between so many topics, and you need it. That's why I wanted to have David on the on the show. Um, there are people that are fighting the good fight, that are cr- trying to help establish policy or trying to uh, educate leaders, church members, policymakers in our Judeo-Christian values, in what the Bible says. And that's important for us to know because oftentimes all we see is whoever the media conglomerate decides they should throw up on the local media. And I'm not making light of that because I do media appearances often, but they dictate that. They kind of feed you what they want you to know. And I think it's important for you to know there's other things going on and you may not see them because you're busy. You're busy trying to put food on the table, pay your bills. You're trying to raise your children to keep them safe, uh, keep them from, you know, getting, you know, caught up into the tech cyber vortex. And I get it. And that's okay. And one of the things David said that I just rest at peace, do not be in great turmoil. Do every morning get up and ask the Lord, what is it he has for you to do? And then be busy about that and trust that God has other people in places that are working on your behalf, that are looking out for our country, for our values, for our beliefs, things that are super important. And so, friends, I want you to hear that. And David, uh, I'm going to have everything, you know, where they can contact, where they can get involved with the Family Research Council. I, I know that that's a, that's a nonprofit. It's a those are funded by uh, supporters and donators, and you know you get a lot. So I'm going to have all that in the show notes, friends. And David, as we kind of close up, I know you're working on your PhD in Christian ethics, uh, which that's phenomenal with everything else you have going on, just more. But God's giving you that. He will give you the ability to do that, which he's called you to do. So as we wrap up this segment, what is most on your heart right now, whether it's a concern or something hopeful that that just kind of keeps you going? Yeah, such a good question to kind of conclude this really, I hope, constructive and helpful conversation, Connie. I'd say, you know, my hope is kind of what I just said is that, you know, the Lord doesn't call you by yourself, individual, to change the world. He calls you to be faithfulness. I think there's so much freedom in that. And I will say, as far as a concern, um, the issues that we've talked about related to sexuality and gender, I just think there's so much energy, there's so much power, there's so much money uh, pushing all things moral revolution. But it is, that's why my co-authors and I wrote the book, Male and Female, He Created Them, um, because we want to help especially Christians. Connie, that's the thing. You know, At the end of the day, I think Christians need to remember 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, that the man of God may be equipped for all righteousness. 
We we got to return back to the basics. We got to remember that God's word is sufficient. And so if our book accomplishes anything, it's just pointing people back to that basic truth that God's word actually does have answers to whatever issue you're dealing with, whether it's gender and sexuality and marriage or just how to be a faithful parent, how to be a faithful spouse. God's word is sufficient. And so I think that's kind of what I'd want to leave the the listeners with is just that truth that they can trust God's word. That's an excellent way to wrap up the segment. David, thank you for coming on the show, on the podcast. I know that you're busy, you have a lot going on, and we always appreciate our guest time. And thank you for making time to, to be on the podcast. And again, listeners, go on over to ConnieAlberts.com where you will find all the show notes and a link to where you can find David, the work that he's doing, the book that he has co-authored, the work that's going on. Be encouraged. Do not be discouraged. We're not fighting a battle between flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And so we have to be mindful of that and never lose hope because God is in control whether we see it or not. That doesn't change the fact that he is. So thank you for tuning into this episode of Equipped to Be, and we will see you next week. Well, that wraps up this episode of Equipped to Be. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend or family member and hit subscribe so you don't miss a show. And thank you again for joining me. Remember that we are equipped for every season of life.